Once again, for two generations of professional wrestling fans to discuss all the matches that they can get their hands on, that Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer has rated five stars or higher. This will be a slightly not truncated episode. I think it'll be a regular length episode. But myself, Lorcan Mullen, and my co-host Simon Cross have only been able to unfold, um, uncover a um, snippet of this match. Uh, which is another All Japan match, and it's the start of a Kenta Kabashi-thon we're about to go on, as the next five consecutive matches that Dave Meltzer rated five stars or higher included uh, the Burning Sun, was his name, or something like that, the the Master of the Burning Hammer, let's put it that way, Yeah, Uh, Kenta Kabashi. We've already seen him in a few matches. One of the matches is one of the few matches that we've both given five stars to in his six-man tag. Uh, but this is Kabashi in singles action. I believe this is the first Kent Kabashi singles match that was given five stars. And also the first of his opponent to be given five stars in a singles match. And it's Toshiaki Kawada. Two of the members of the Four Pillars of Heaven that really drove all Japan through the 90s. And maybe, arguably, maybe the two best workers of the three, which could be sacrilegious to some. But it's sort of like, you know, how... Many George Harrison's only the third best songwriter in the Beatles, you know, <laughs> being the third best out of these four. And we have already, I think we will have to discuss whether Akira Tawa is the Ringo star of wrestling at some point or another, but we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Um, so, yeah, unfortunately, the version that we saw was only the 10 minute finish, well, about the last eight, nine, ten minutes of it. Yeah. Uh, it's from that year's Champions Carnival. Um, as Toshiaki Kawada and Kenta Kabashi faced off. So, we can't really talk that much about it. What I will say is that it looked like it was a very exciting match and a very good finishing straight. And it also had the sense of, I think this was towards the end of the tournament. And in those days, the Champions Carnival tournament was one big block. So, everyone was wrestling about over a dozen singles matches over a very short space of time. Whereas the G1 Climax had traditionally been two small blocks. They've been gradually getting up to that uh, level. So I think what was key, and, and also in Dave Meltzer's review of the match, he was saying just how bruised and battered these guys are at this stage. And there's like photos of them post-match where they've just got bruises all over their face. Sort of like um, those prize fighter tournaments. I don't know if they still hold them. Uh, where boxers go into like a straight elimination one-night tournament. Mm. And you'll have guys coming out for the final with basically an eye already swollen shut. Yeah. Yeah, I um, and I guess whilst we can't really talk that much about the match because we can't see it as a whole, it was a very exciting finishing straight. And again, you've seen that sort of depth of psychology and, and, and selling as a very important factor in this match because at one point in the finishing straight, Kawada gets a, a hurt leg and Kabashi immediately goes after it. And the key is just hitting that final move. Kawada's trying to put him away with the power bomb, hitting yeah. him with as many strikes as he can to keep him down, and Kabashi's got that utter resilience going on. I mean, I think in this match review, um, Dave Meltzer essentially said, "These are this is the Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat of wrestling today. I don't know whether I'd agree with that or not with Toshiaki Kawada as an equivalent of Ric Flair, but I can definitely see... That's not to say Kawada's not 
great. Just I don't know if I would associate him with Ric Flair necessarily. Yeah. Although they do both have really cool ways of selling, like unique ways of selling moves. Um, but Kabashi definitely has that babyface fire of Ricky Steamboat, but he's a bit bulkier than Steamboat is. Yeah, I mean, over the last few times we've seen Kabashi, he's, he's starting to get more and more sort of in sh- like jacked. He's getting bigger and bigger. He's growing it. He's literally growing into his role. Well, he was a bodybuilder before he got into wrestling, so I guess he was maybe a bit bulkier than a lot of the Japanese wrestlers are when they get into it. Yeah, in comparison. Um, but he is, yeah, he's a he's a big dude, but he can move. Obviously, his moon salts gorgeous. Um, it's beautiful. It's, it's truly a thing of beauty. Um, I really like that. I, I wish I could. I wish one day we get to see the full match. Um, I'll not be getting the footage because what I saw, I really enjoyed. The problem with all Japan's footage is that all Japan don't own it. They essentially sold it um, wholesale to the TV channel. So it's hard to kind of get the owner. Whereas New Japan, like the WWE, I think always had ownership over their sort of master tapes, as it were. So that's why they're able to put most of it on an archive. Uh, the New Japan World Archive isn't as well organized as the WWE's ones. Yeah. Um, so, always control your content. So that, that's, that's why. Yeah. So that's why with a lot of All Japan, you're just gonna you're not gonna be able to work from an app at the moment. Anyway, maybe someday they'll be able to collate it all together or something. Um, but it also makes it readily available, which is great, and you can link it on um, your web pages and my blog entries on Scott Keith's blog and what have you. Um, so we can't really talk that much more about the match. It was just a sense of both... T- it seemed like it was two guys really at the end of a long, torturous uh, tour, just desperately trying to keep one up on their rival, you know? That that's the intensity of the rivalry and the way it's tiered essentially uh, we'll get more to it in the second match the, in, in sorry in the next match uh, which is a six man tag um, is that there's a clear tiering that basically Masao was the top guy Kawada yeah. was number two and Kabashi and Tawe were sort of three and four yeah they're the sort of ones trying to emerge so uh, al- going to the next bit so there's always that sense that Kawada is desperate to beat Misawa and Kabashi is desperate to beat Kawada yeah and uh, to make that final step up so it's and so the intensity of that rivalry is that so Kawada's in a different position in this one where he's sort of trying to keep his position as opposed he's to more sort of defensive to, yeah yeah uh, he's just trying to desperately put away Kabashi um, before Kabashi can usurp him, essentially. So he hits a couple of power bombs, and that's the key, is the blocking of the power bomb. Or when he hits his first power bomb, he's too exhausted to be able to get over and pin him. Then with the second one, uh, his knee buckles. So then with the third one, he sort of leans into it and just puts his full weight yeah. onto Kabashi. And Kabashi's... The thing about Kabashi is he just does so many moves so well. He does a power bomb that turns into a folding press. Um, you know, he folds over into it, a folding yeah. power bomb. His leg crab cradle moves. His moon salts. Like, if there's a wrestling move that can be done as well as possible. It's it's kind of like Kurt Angle's one of the other guys that just sort of does every move that he tries to do. He does better than anyone else almost. Well, at Kurt, Kurt is peak, of course. Yeah, Kurt is his peak. Yes, yes. Um, so. We can't really talk that much more about the match. Maybe it would have been a five-star match. It's hard to say. Um, yeah. It was definitely like a, an amazing well, finishing Well, one of the other matches we've only just seen clips of, obviously, the Bush... Um, the Sheep Herders. Yeah. Sorry, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, like, 
again, I would have loved to have seen that in full yeah. because it looked like the kind of thing I, I would have enjoyed, I yeah. would have got into. It's really frustrating, you know. Yeah, but you know, it's it's first world problems, really. We only it got is. to see ten minutes of an amazing wrestling match. You know? I know. Um, so I thought what we'd do for the next ten to fifteen minutes—that's usually for this length of episode—is talk a little bit about um, the nature of these five star matches and what Dave Meltzer likes. And um, one of the key things that everyone, when you look back at the All Japan stuff, although it hasn't really got to the worst instincts of it yet is the physical toll that it takes on this guy. Like I said, this is at the end of a very long Champions Carnival tour. Both men are visibly exhausted, battered, and I think that's kind of the story of the match going in. Um, and it just makes you wonder, like, are do we as fans, do we have an, an, an the, and the increasing importance of five-star matches and, and high-quality matches, and that being associated with a very tough physical style are we responsible for wrestlers <clears throat> getting more and more broken down and, and pushing <clears throat> themselves harder than they should like Kabashi at this point his knees are already screwed you know he's in his like late 20s at this stage and his knees are shot already um, Kawada when you see him trying to walk around now he's clearly in uh, in pain and yeah. You look at all the, and then when you when you start to see some of the head drops, what these guys do to their neck, and ultimately what happens to Masawa. And to call back to um, a well, a wrestler we've already drawn comparisons to in this episode. If you watch Kurt Angle try and move around the ring in 2019, his his movement, he's he's it's very awkward. He He can't can't move his neck. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like Zoolander can't turn left or whatever yeah. it was. You know, it's it's really hard to watch. And obviously, you, you know, the very first man in the very first five-star match, Dynamite Kid, you know, in a wheelchair before he's 40 after what he puts himself through. Mm. Like, to what extent are we culpable? And to, it's like, it's always that argument, what's art imitating life? What's life imitating art? What's wrestlers give and what's the wrestlers responding to what we demand? Oh, it's a tough... It, again, it's a really difficult question because... Well, I want you to wrap up in three minutes or less. <laughs> <laughs> um, Do you ever but... feel guilty when you see, like... Um, I know because Dynamite Kid didn't really want to be seen in a wheelchair or when you see... I don't know. I don't know. Well, you know, I felt so awkward I, I watching Matt guilty. Hardy walk for the longest time. Yeah, I don't feel guilty, but I do feel uncomfortable. Mm. Um... Like the 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 worst example of this is when you see a Chris Benoit suicide dive or a Chris Benoit dive in headbutt. You're like, oh, yeah. any 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 headshots from yeah. the '90s. Like uh, every time Bubba Ray Dudley just takes a steel chair. The Rock and Mankind's I Quit match yeah. where Mankind gets handcuffed as well. That's but that felt aesthetic. that felt uncomfortable at the time. Almost yeah. that was it. Took ten chair shots unprotected, but even. We were like, oh, fuck. <laughs> and even then he didn't far. quit. It was like the tape recording, wasn't it? But you it? know what I mean. It was... yeah. But what I'm saying is in kayfabe terms, they still let him not quit after that, if you see what I mean. Like, they're still... like, to, like, to give an example, like when you watch like Tetsuya Naito hit Kenny Omega with the Destino, and Kenny Omega basically makes a point to land on his head and neck, or Kotoribushi doing a Tiger Driver to Tetsuya Naito recently. 
I don't see how that's necessary. Yeah. Because if you do it right, if you if you present it correctly, John Cena doing an AA, which is a clear, fairly simple flat back bump, yeah. very protected, doesn't really do much damage to either Cena or the other guy. But it's how you make it look. And, and if someone hits it, you believe that that can be the finish of the match because that's what you're conditioned into believing. Yeah. It's it's difficult because the lines have been blurred in that sense. I think. But is, but is that but is that Ibushi's fault? Would would people love Ibushi less if he wasn't doing as many head drops? I don't think we would. No, I, I don't think it makes that much of a difference. I think because the lines of realism are so blurred, there's a, like a some wrestlers feel obligated to make their because because more people know how people safely take wrestling moves now so i think they feel obligated to make their wrestling moves look unsafe to add a layer of like realism or danger or mm. edge to what they're doing mm. and it's 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 a zero you're not going to win that game you're just not long term like the human body will fail you like these these guys are, and it's difficult as well because i've argued this point at length um like by and large, people are getting more and more athletic because there are more and more scientific advancements. Did you just call me Brian Large? <laughs> Brian <laughs> Large. <laughs> um, but no, people are getting more and more generally getting more and more athletic due to advancements in technology, recovery techniques. But the body hasn't nutrition. changed. The body but this hasn't is changed. this is my point. There is still a limit. Like the the humans haven't evolved to the point where they can land on their necks. It's, but to be fair, in Japan they put a lot of emphasis on next exercises. Yeah. Oh well, yeah. You know, Their uh, necks are insanely strong. And if you look at anyone who had an amateur wrestling background who does wrestle, like Chad Gable's neck must be like phenomenal for his size in terms yeah. of what he can do. Yeah. Um. But no, what on what my point is, they're going faster, harder, stronger on a chassis which hasn't which just ha- isn't reinforced mm. to cope with that they were, and, and i'm not disparaging against what people were doing back um in the early 90s or the late 80s they were still going too hard too fast too strong then well it's the thing that even wrestlers in the 50s and 60s where they still bumped i think sometimes people like um exaggerate how little they did at times they like you watch a luthes match he's doing backdrops and power bombs and mm. all that sort of stuff um, but he's doing it well the question is like the quality of the mats as well a lot of people were saying it was sort of the quality of the mats and the lifestyle that the wrestlers were having to leave, live at the time now wrestlers especially in the WWE seem to live a far more healthy lifestyle half of them are vegan half of them are teetotal yeah. you know they don't go out drinking and, and taking drugs you know you've, there's hardly been any real stories in the past 10 to 15 years of wrestlers with serious drug problems like you were getting the generation before then, your Chinas, your Sean Waltmans, uh, your Scott Halls, your uh, Ma- Snake Roberts is yeah, but that's sort of we are them hiding it behind the curtains. Are they better at hide? Well, how can they be better at hiding it now with social media? It's impossible to not. And now see with it. their wellness policy, it had to go. Um... But it's also a culture like young people don't take as many substances anymore. Weirdly, no. as soon as soon as they start becoming legal, not as many people want to take them. Um, 
The fun's gone, I think people... I don't know if it's the fun... Well, I think it's that the boredom's not there anymore. Yeah. I can't imagine how boring it must have been travelling on the road however many hundreds of days a year. Uh, with no, you know, without iPods, without iPhones, without, without tablets, without computer games, without podcasts and everything else to occupy yourself with. Mm. And it must have been so easier. Um, like, to draw it to footballers, when I listen to uh, the Magic Sponge podcast on occasion, some of the old school guys who go on there, the stuff they talk about, if that was happening today, that would be splashed all over the back page in seconds because everyone has camera phones. Mm. Like, you, you, you've got more to do, you're right, in terms of what like entertainment and the world's at your fingertips with the internet, but also because of the internet, you've got less freedom to do some of the things you may people did in the past mm. yeah we won't ultimately know how bad it's all what all this is doing to you know like dave dave Meltzer has said that will osprey will end up like dynamite kid um we won't know for another 10 15 years how badly the way that these guys have been wrestling have affected the your people like your mm. um Kazuchiro Okada's and your Kenny Omega's and your Tetsuya Naito's and your Seth Rollins's and how far they're pushing themselves physically to do what they do. We yeah. won't true like Edge and Christian both seem okay when you see them out and about, and Edge has had some of the most serious injuries you could have had. Yeah, in that I era. think um, obviously Edge has got his neck problems, which prevents him from like doing a lot. But he can still live a normal life. Uh, I think I, he mentioned on his podcast he didn't take time to get his collarbone fixed, so sometimes that pops in and out when he sleeps. Oh god! Which is, um... but you look at even Mick Foley. Like you think if Mick Foley's not in a wheelchair yet, then maybe there is hope for everyone because yeah. it just didn't look like he could be able to do what he did. And obviously, it attributes a lot of it now to his weight loss and everything. But, but if we go beyond the field of wrestlers slightly for a second, humans. Uh, on a whole are living longer and uh, cases like Alzheimer's and dementia and stuff are on the rise and, and maybe human humans aren't meant to be kept alive for so long well there's a great and, quote and from, if you've um... already got so many miles on your clock are you expediting the the winter years of your life being not the best well, I think it's a Martin Amos quote. I'm paraphrasing it. Uh, a notorious drinker and imbiber of all sorts of things. And he said, they say if you cut out the cigarettes and the alcohol, it adds 10 years to your life. Guess which 10 years they are. <laughs> At the end. Mm. So, I don't know. Like, we got really deep there. I guess to, to, to rein it back, is it... Like, in order for a match to be a really, really good match, does there need to be a sense that these guys have really pushed themselves physically to their limits? I would like to say no. I would like to say no. But I feel our demands as wrestling fans as a whole have become so great now and we've become so spoiled. But even in the 80s, like Ric Flair's doing cross bodies to guys that are sending them both to the outside into an area yeah. where nearly in all instances there was no mat on the outside. The rings were notoriously harder back and then. The and the guardrails aren't padded. Like no, well, the guardrails, I mean, in Japan, still, but then you look they're at like... Not. Well, the tie, like all the Japanese matches where they're getting whipped into the barricades, that looks nasty as hell, what, the hell, yeah. what they're doing to each other. But, you know, 
But it's like Jim Cornette said along the lines of, back when everyone thought it was real, no one was hurting each other. Now everyone knows it's fake. They're hurting each other. Perhaps because they want to try and make it still feel real. <laughs> I don't... Well, well, maybe it's because we know that it's fake. We need to be impressed by things that look like, well, that has to have hurt. Yeah. Even if it's predetermined, it has to have hurt. Like, okay. It's, uh, like, it's like how suddenly... In the indie scene for a couple of, a couple of years ago, you saw it in PWG. It was the in thing to do a deadlift, like to show yeah. off the strength by deadlifting a guy. Like uh, Jeff Cobb will switch them round and show that he's doing a deadlift. All wrestling throws should be deadlifts. Yeah, but it's suddenly like you know I'm doing all those suplexes in the rest of the match that aren't. But this is clearly real. Look how yeah. legitimately strong I am. Yeah, it's like um. I'm going to back to him a lot, but Chad Gable's sort of roll through deadlift German suplex mm. is revered so much more than I guess if he was to throw an average German suplex. Well, he took that from Doug Williams. Uh, yeah, that was Doug Williams's finisher. Always been one of my favourite finishers. Um, yeah. <sighs> so, oh, okay. I want the question. Like, what's 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 been the least physically taxing match that we've watched so far in these? You could possibly make an argument it was the UWF stuff. Uh, they were really kicking each other, though. Kicking each other, but they weren't taking, like, slams or anything like that. You know what they I mean? They sort of were. One of them did a tombstone at one point. I can understand where you're coming from. If they yeah. know where to... And in fairness, in Japan, they know where to hit. Like, there's a part of the neck that they'll slap that gives the best sound. Yeah. But it's still bloody it's, it, Yeah, yeah. It's, but it's... My point is because it's like mat and strike based and they're not... Yes, there are tombstones, but there aren't tombstones outside. When you look at at Bret Hart, Bret Hart always made it said, if you're going to make a case for me being one of the best, being the best of all time, what I would say is no one was ever hurt leaving my matches. Mm. My stuff looked good, but you didn't feel a thing. And that conversely, there are the guys that looked fake as hell and you end up feeling like really in pain. Yeah. Like, and he, he never liked how Vader worked because he said it's really easy to make it look real if you're hitting someone for real. <laughs> well, you're, just, you're just doing it, aren't you? You know, I just remember whenever Bret Hart threw a punch or a headbutt, Bret Hart's headbutts looked deadly and he never hurt a person doing mm-hmm. it. So, I don't know. I don't know is the, like, is the honest... But that's been the answer to a lot of these questions okay. lately. Okay, so let me let me take you to... The most infamous bump, effectively, of all time. Undertaker, Mick Fo- uh, Mankind, Hell in a Cell. Mm. Why do you think that bump came about? Because Mick Foley wanted to one-up Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels fell from halfway down, so he fell from the top. Yeah, but... So was that, was that Mick Foley trying to entertain the crowd, or was that Mick Foley trying to one-up Shawn Michaels? And would the crowd have enjoyed a regular Hell in a Cell match? You know, but people still talk about that match to this day. Yeah. Mick Foley says it is his Groundhog Day for the rest of his life. People ask him about that match. Yeah. And so he, does... has he did he succeed? Was it worth those two bumps? Because he said, you know, there have been other things that have given him worse pain, like a spine buster he took from Ron Simmons. Yeah. Or when a China... <laughs> well, that's just Ron Simmons. He's just, he's just yeah. jacked. But, uh, you know, when a steel chair, a steel cage slammed into his head by China, those hurt more than either of the two... Mm. bumps he took in that well i guess he had more shock to numb the pain with but then but then people are, but then like obviously with the mick foley hell in the cell match there's always that argument was it actually a good match or was it two incredible stunts without 
and then it's the Undertaker trying to hold hands with a guy who's had a concussion. Yeah. And what whilst I mean, doing it with a broken foot. I don't really because I don't really want to like delve too deep into it because it is on our list, I believe. Um, but you know, yeah, that is a lot. Of, I, it's one of those things I've used it. I've used the language before. Is it more an angle than it is a match? Yeah, the, you could argue that. Well, and, me... and would okay, yes, because Shawn Michaels fell off halfway off the cell. Mick wanted to up, up, up road, um, uproot Shawn Michaels and like beat him. But do you think? Obviously, I think part of it might have been that WCW was still around as well, potentially, um, because he would have had he would have had to have told Vince, assumedly, what he was doing. Like Vince would have had to have known before that spot beforehand. One would. Oh assume. yeah, they knew because they had it set up and everything. Yeah, so. Does the fact that Vince okayed that mean that he was willing to take that risk only because the competition was there? I think it was beyond WCW. I think it was just him trying to prove it. Well, like I said, I think it was more Shawn Michaels than it was WCW. Yeah. Well, in, in, the, in, yeah like, the in, hell in, is there? In, like, in mix-ups, someone still got... Vince has still got a green like that. Vince has still got a green. Let's save this discussion for when we do Shawn Michaels versus The Undertaker Hell in a Cell match. Yeah. Because then we can do a proper comparison. But let's just do a final wrap-up of... Yeah, and I don't want to like tread in too much into what we, we're, we're going to do in the future, but if someone talks about people going too far, it is that. Yeah. I just... I think sometimes... The, the thing that you've got to remember, and I'll, 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 I'll wrap it up with this, we're talking about all these five-star matches, all this punishment that these guys took, ultimately cost Dynamite Kid his power to walk. It cost... In many ways, Mitsuhara Masawa his life. It may cost more lives. It cost Chris Benoit's sanity. And I'm not saying we're culpable for it. I think there's something innate, especially within Chris Benoit, that was always going to do this. Mm. That was always going to do something crazy. If he had the brain that he had from the lifestyle that he led. And that was beyond... You know, because there was always the thing about toughness. You know, Jay, the, the APA didn't ever have an amazing five-star match, but they certainly contributed in their own ways, to cultures that led to self-destruction at the very least for some people. Yeah. And, I'm, and I shouldn't just point the blame at them. It's wrestling in general in that period. And now, now the risks aren't what they're doing outside the ring anymore. But yeah. now it's about just how many times can we do bumps on the ring apron? To, you know, how, what does that help? I don't know. I, don't, I We can't, you know. It's difficult. Bret Hart, because... Bret, Hart said, Bret Hart always said, like, and you look at like Ric Flair with the chops and the whole, you know, slapping the flesh and you do the woo and everything. Bret Hart once said to Rick, every time you chop me in the chest, I'm going to punch you in the nose. <laughs> <laughs> like, it, it, again, is it what's it proving? But, that, but that's for the wrestlers themselves to decide, I guess. We can't stop them doing Like, if I stop watching because I say, I'm not going to watch it anymore because I don't want to see someone break their neck, nothing changes. And, you know, it's not like Paige ever wrestled in a Hell in a Cell match or pushed mm. herself so far, and and she was the unfortunate one. It's... You know, some guy broke his neck off a rocker dropper. Yeah. He was paralysed. Like, we've all... It could happen at any time. Like It's like Rob Van Damme does all these crazy spots, and then he breaks his leg off of a baseball slide. Neville. Same thing happens to Neville. Yeah. Well, yeah, Neville did it on... Off of, off of a baseball slide. Yeah. 
That's like when um, Enzo got his concussion. That's because he like bounced off the ropes poorly. He wasn't really like. Well, also Enzo can't wrestle. So. Like, but <laughs> like, you know. but we'll talk. But we'll come back and talk about people that can wrestle because we're going to get to see a full length match next that involves Ken Kobashi and Toshiaki Kawada. But they're on either sides of a six man tag, a six man tag that involved Misawa Kawada, Tawe, and Kobashi did receive five stars from us. The alignments have changed slightly, and two younger guys have been brought up to replace Jumbo Saruta and Masafushi. But let's see if the first six-man tag between Mitsuhara Masawa, uh, Kenta Kabashi, and Junakiyama against Toshaki Kawada, Akira Tawe, and Yoshinari Ogawa can match those previous heights. But until then, Simon, how can people get in touch with you? Uh, people can get in touch with me on Twitter, where I'm so known as Simon Crossfree. Uh, so known for the amount of times I've mentioned Chad Gable, I think, in this. I think it's <laughs> twice, maybe three times. We're going for free. It's definitely free now. It's fine. Uh, my name's Lorcan Mullen. That's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A for ankle, N for neck. That's my Twitter handle. That's my Instagram account. If you want to see how I rate films and live shows and everything that I've gone to see, uh, that is my Let's Box account. If you put an gmail.com at the end of it, that's my email address. But until then, my name's Lorcan Mullen. My name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a five-star time. Until the next time. <laughs>